And let's take our Bibles this morning. Let's turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts in the New Testament, Acts chapter 1. This morning, Lord willing, we'll return to the book of Genesis, our study in Genesis next Sunday. Looking forward to that. But as we have returned from our trip and have had a number of other moving parts, I thought, you know what, for, for our congregation and with all this going on right now, I thought that coming back to Acts chapter 1, uh, a text we have studied in the past, it's been years since we've been in this, but Acts chapter 1 might be a good thing for us to do this morning. So Acts chapter 1, what I want to do is direct your attention to the first 14 verses of this chapter. We're not going to go through them in detail, but I, I do want to, to go through them. I'm going to read them first and then kind of meditate on them with you this morning. Uh, there are some important truths for us that I believe will, if we'll let them, if the Spirit of God will do it, breathe confidence into our souls with regard to what our commission from our Lord actually is. We've been given a job to do. We've been given a mission. We need to ask ourselves some questions about it this morning and wrestle, I think, with the question of our, our engagement in it. And so I want to call us to that today. So to begin with, let me just start by reading the first 14 verses. I'll put it on the screen. You can follow along there in your Bibles. But Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, we read this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James all of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Brothers and sisters, many times it seems to me that far too many Christians today don't really understand what it is they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> Why are we here? To watch us live, to hear us talk, to watch how we spend the money we have provided to us, 
To watch the things we pursue and the things we engage in, the, the way we spend our limited resources of time, energy, and money. You would think that we exist merely to try to survive and have as much comfort, comfort as we can while doing it. I mean, just got to make it to the next day. We just have to make it to the, the weekend. We, we got to get through the next week. We got to get to retirement. We got to make sure that we are comfortable and that life is good. Mission? Commission? What's that? I work. I raise a family. I, I buy groceries. I keep a house in working order. I got to keep cars running. We got to have some fun too, right? To watch us live, to hear us talk, to see what we advertise as we post on social media, what life is about for so many who call themselves the people of Christ, the people of God. We seem very confused about why we're here. Why there's life in these bodies, why there's breath in these lungs, why there's strength in these muscles. Why are we here? So many today don't seem to understand why God has left us here on earth. We don't seem to understand why God has put air in our lungs or why He has placed us where He has on the planet. In other words, I could say it this way. I don't know how many professing Christians actually understand their God-given mission. What are you made by God to be about? Why are you alive? This morning what I want to do is I just want to take a few minutes and I want to work through this passage. I want to meditate on this passage with you because I think it shows us four key truths. I believe that if we understand them, it will help us to embrace and live faithfully in the mission we have all received from Christ himself. We need to ask ourselves the question, will I acknowledge from the outset that I, there are things that I, I need to understand better than I do, that there are things he has given me that I should engage in more faithfully than I regularly do? Well, the first thing I want us to see this morning is simply this, I, I, I want to state it this way, friends, let's understand our commission. I want you to understand your commission what is it that God has given us to do? You know, friends, the story is told of a London Times reporter who many, many years ago was interviewing people who were working on the construction of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. 
big, beautiful cathedral in that city. The architect for the project at that time was a very famous man, Sir Christopher Wren, known for his work of designing and then having built a number of buildings there in London. And the reporter, knowing this of Sir Christopher Wren and his reputation, was actually checking in with various people on this job site, this construction site, who were working on the project. He wanted to learn about this construction that was taking place. He wanted to know how they were thinking about the project they were engaged in. So he came to one man and he just asked him, he says, what are you doing? And the man said to the reporter, I am putting this rock into this slot. Isn't it obvious? I take rocks, and I put them where they're supposed to go. That's what I'm doing. So the reporter moved on to a second man who was doing the exact same job as the first man. And he asked him, Sir, what are you doing? As he reaches for the rocks to put them in the slots that they're supposed to go, he says, I'm earning a paycheck I need a day's wage. The reporter moved on to a third man doing the identical job. He said, sir, what are you doing? Again, the man reaching for the stones and putting them in the slots said to the reporter, why, sir, I am helping Sir Christopher Wren build St. Paul's Cathedral. All doing the same job, all three with very different perspectives on why they were there. And friends, I want you to understand that the answer to the question, what are you doing, all depends on your perspective. Why are you here? What are you doing? I'm living. Can't you see? I just got to get the Friday. I just, I need a weekend. I'm telling you, I'm just surviving. Okay, well, why are you here? Money makes the world go around. I just got to earn a paycheck and pay my bills. I mean, can't you tell? That's what, that's what I'm doing. Why are you here? I am helping Jesus Christ reach the nations and build his church. Why are you here? What is all this about for you? You see, friends, I think we have to note the fact that our Lord has not left us without instruction. He's not left us without an understanding of what it is he's left us here to do. In fact, our Lord gave clear instructions to the apostles, and I would argue to us by extension, just prior to his ascension. And and these were not merely good ideas or suggestions. These are instructions for his people Acts chapter 1, verse 1, what did he say there? In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given, what's that next word? Suggestions? 
good ideas. No. Commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. You see, we often read the Word of God and we think, you know what, life would probably go better if I would do this. But it's just best practices. It's kind of like that manual that came with your car that's in the glove box until something really goes wrong and then we whip it out, right? To figure out, well, how do I fix it? But nobody reads it because they're going to live by it, right? Oh, how sad it is when the professing people of God consider the commands of God to be the suggestions of God. Here we read that the risen Christ gave clear commanding instructions to his apostles concerning their commission. This was not, this was not just a suggestion. It was not just a good idea. And in fact, verse 8 records the words he spoke to them just prior to his ascension. What's it say in verse 8? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You are here to bear witness to me. You are here to tell people about me. You are here to live in a way that reflects me. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, friends, we are not in Jerusalem. We are not in Judea. We are not in Samaria. We are in the end of the earth as far as they were concerned. The commission hasn't changed. So whether I cross a street or cross an ocean, my job remains the same, right? Bear witness to Jesus Christ. That's our calling. That's why we're here. So Christ Jesus, the, the same Jesus who, who died before the disciples' eyes and had been buried in a tomb, now stands risen, appeared before them to give them his final commands. And it should not surprise us that the scriptures tell us that some of them doubted. We see that in the Great Commission text, right? Some saw, they see him, the risen Christ, and some are doubting, like, what's going on? Is this really going to work? Christ himself, though, was very careful to give them proofs that he was truly alive, right? Verse 3 of our text said it plainly. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So many who want to suggest that the resurrection of Jesus is some kind of myth or some kind of mass hallucination or whatever, and yet the text of Scripture goes out of its way to make clear this didn't happen with one person. It didn't happen just in one place. It didn't just happen in one day or one moment. It happened over days with many of them and hundreds, in fact. First Corinthians tells us over 500 people at one time Time saw him alive, their proofs of his resurrection are indisputable in a court based on what we know. He proved himself and proved himself and proved himself to be alive from the dead. And now this risen Christ, this living one who has proved himself to them says, now you tell them about me. That's why you're here. To bear witness to Jesus Christ. 
Follow this. The risen Christ had been given all authority, the commission texts tell us, from his Father. And, and on the basis of his authority, what he had been given, he now commanded, that's the language of our text, his followers, to be witnesses, to, to, to make disciples, the commission texts tell us, of all the nations, and to finish his work of, of teaching them. I mean, the job now is to tell them of Jesus, lead them to the Savior, and make disciples of them that they might walk in his ways and tell others even more about him. Friends, it's vital for us to understand then that we have been called to finish the work that our Lord began. To keep doing His work. And this is exactly what Jesus was talking about when He said in verse 8, You will be My witnesses. So so could I ask again the question that we started with this morning? What is your perspective when it comes to your mission? Why Why are you here? Is it to pass the time? Is it to earn a paycheck? Is it to survive the week? Is it to keep a house working? Is it to raise some kids that just don't, you know, mess up too much? Like, like what's, what's the goal here? Are you just putting a rock in a slot? <laughs> Are you just doing what Christians do, right? Show up at church, carry a Bible, sing a hymn, and get back to real life, Right? Just do what Christians do. Rock in a slot, rock in a slot, rock in a slot. Are you just earning a paycheck? Earning a paycheck. So what do you mean? Well, have you convinced yourself that somewhere in the recesses of your deceitful heart, you, you understand that by your faithful attendance, your regular giving, your consistent service, what you're doing is you're just you're making God happy with you and you're earning a reward, right? I do all this because one day I just want to, I want payday. I don't want hell, I want heaven, right? You're just doing what Christians do? You're earning a paycheck? Or friend, let me ask you this, in your mind, in your heart, are you truly convinced that you are helping Jesus Christ build his church? You're helping Christ spread His gospel. You're helping Him enlarge His kingdom. You're actually doing what He put you here to do. You're spending your resources on what He gave them to you for. You're actually engaging in the mission for your life and for mine. We're witnesses to Him. Do you understand your commission? Well, there's more to this, friends. Not only do you need to understand your commission, secondly, I want you to utilize his provision. Utilize his provision. You say, what are you talking about, Joe? Well, I don't know about the rest of you, but I, for one, find the fact that his mission is now my mission a very daunting reality. I guess one thing when Jesus came, right, to seek and save the lost, like that's, that's Jesus, right? And, and then we think, then there's guys like Paul, and it's like, okay, I can see how Paul could do this, right? 
Uh, Peter, I mean, he, he was a fisherman turned evangelist and pastor, but I mean, he, he at least walked with Jesus. I get that one, right? But me? Do what he did? I mean, I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough strength or stamina or righteousness or talent or ability. I mean, I, I got all the excuses, right? I, mean, I can think of them. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like right up there with Moses on making excuses, right? Right before the burning bush, God's like, I, I, I made your mouth, now go speak. And he's like, I can't speak. Like he keeps making excuses. Like I'm right there with Moses. I know how to make excuses. So do you. And we do. All the time. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I'm too weak. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too whatever, right? I got, I got too much on my plate to be about the mission that he gave me. I don't have enough power. In the last few weeks, I've been reminded how, how quickly power or strength can leave us, right? Just get on an airplane and fly 18 hours. Like, you'll find out how weak you can become really quick. Tell you more about it in the second hour, but the last two weeks, I mean, I normally preach about three times a week. That's about my habit here. That's what we do in our church. I speak and counsel and do other things, but in the last 14 days while we were away, I preached 26 times in 14 days. I'm going to talk about tired. Just like I don't know that I can even put two thoughts together the next time, right? And then God intervenes. We've all got excuses, right? I, I, I'm not enough. And we are not enough. We know that. That's, that's biblically true. And friends, this is why, along with the commission, comes the promise of provision. I've got to ask you, do you understand what you actually have at your disposal? Do you understand what he has given you? You see, we sit, sit back and we hear about the commission, we're like, oh, I'm not enough. You're right. None of us are. That's not an excuse. It'll not be about the task. He's actually promised us provision Look at verses 4 and 5. What did he tell his own in the text? And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I don't want to take long here, but I do want to run through a couple of thoughts with you very quickly. What we find here is that Christ commissioned his disciples and then he instructed them to wait for the Spirit to come and to empower them for the task. He didn't just say, I'm going to give you a commission, now get busy. He says, I'm going to give you a commission, now wait. And when I give you my Spirit, get busy. He says, I want you to understand the provision. I want you to notice that the command to be his witnesses came through the Spirit of God. We see that in verse 2. 
It tells us until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And his provision of supernatural power came from the Spirit. Verse 8, we saw that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the commands came through the Spirit. The power comes through the Spirit. And all of this provision, by, in, through, and from the Spirit, was actually a personal gift of provision from Christ Himself. Christ, by His Spirit, was giving all of this to His saints. Remember the commission He gave in Matthew 28. What's the language there? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you, Jesus said. I am with you always to the end of the age. And a little later in the book of Acts, Luke plainly teaches that it was Christ himself who poured out the Spirit of God on the disciples at Pentecost. In Luke chapter 2, he tells us there plainly, this Jesus God raised up, and of that were witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he who, this Jesus, has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus said, I'll be with you. And what does he do? He gives us his spirit that empowers, that supplies, that guides and convicts and equips for the task. So friends, what personal instruction, application should we take from all of this that we just run through quickly? Well, I want you to think about it. Friends, in, in, in that day, When the disciples were commissioned, they were instructed to wait for the Holy Spirit to clothe them with power. And when he did, they turned the world upside down, the Bible tells us, for Christ. They waited for the Spirit. He gave them the Spirit. They turned the world upside down. Today, we have no need to wait for the Spirit. Because he's already come and he has already been given to each of us at salvation and he has equipped each of us for the mission. My question is, so what's our excuse again? Like, Why can't we? Maybe more honestly, why won't we? Let's follow this. Can you imagine what it would look like if every single one of us gathered here this morning went out from this place walking in step with, sensitive to the conviction of, submitting to the leadership of, evidencing the fruit of, and utilizing the power of the Holy Spirit of God to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ within our own spheres of influence. What would that look like if we stopped fighting with him when he leads? We stopped stopped disobeying the command we find in the scriptures to quench not the spirit of God. That when he convicts us, we need to use our time differently. We actually change our calendars rather than like make excuses, right? That when he, he brings that conviction that says, I know you planned to buy ice cream, 
but I want you to give that to a missionary. We don't fight with him and demand our ice cream. We, we help those in the task, right? Like last Sunday morning, we actually, we actually were in this room when Daniel Jones stood up here and told the story about his father who was so convinced by God that he needed to be with the people of God that when their family had only enough gasoline to get to church and they knew based on mileage they could not get home from church and they had no money to buy gasoline, they went to church anyway. And they didn't ask anybody for money. They just obeyed God's command. And He provided for them every time. Some of us have no idea what is at our disposal because we don't obey. We don't walk through open doors. We don't don't find ourselves sensitive to the Spirit of God. No, we've got our calendar and we've got our plan and we've got our budget and nobody's going to mess with it, not even God. What about the mission? What about the spirit? What about the task? Why are we here? I think sometimes we become so fixated on our plans and our dreams and our hopes and our purposes that the plans and purposes and commands of God have little effect on us because at the end of the day, nobody's messing with what I've decided I'm going to do. Nobody's going to change my values, my loves, my hates. You see, friends, I want you to hear what we're seeing in our text, that this is God's design. This is His provision. He has equipped and enabled and empowered us to continue the mission of Jesus by pouring out His Spirit within us and told us to walk in the Spirit so that we will not fulfill the lusts of our our flesh. And some of us give in to the lust of our flesh all the time because what we're doing is not following the leading of the Spirit of God. We just won't let Him lead. We just do what we want and hope He's okay with it. But I'm sorry, that's not Christian. It's not Christian. So we're told in the text that he's given us provision. I just have to ask, are you utilizing his provision? Yes, the task is bigger than you are. The task is bigger than I am. But God uses weak things, poor things, foolish things that he might get the glory when the job is accomplished. So he gives us his spirit. And he says, walk in my ways. I'll use you so that I get the glory, he says. Are you utilizing his provision? So he said, understand your commission. Secondly, utilize his provision. Thirdly, from the text, I want you to see this, that we need to live in anticipation. Live in anticipation. 
Uh, Look back at verses 9 through 11 in the text real quick. What, what, What does it say there? And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Now the picture that I see here is of 11 men standing and staring off into the clouds, right? They go to the hill and Jesus ascends and you can imagine you'd be there too doing the same thing, right? (laughs) What just happened? I mean, jaws hanging down. They're just like, what? Like we knew he was going to go, but like that? Wow. I mean, they're in shock. Like They're just staring into the clouds. Christ had just given them his final marching orders. He told them to go back into the city. He told them to wait for the Spirit. He told them when the Spirit comes, get busy. But what are they doing? Uh, they're just staring in the clouds. And it took the jarring voice of an angel to break the silence on that hillside. It took the voice of an angel to, to bring them back down to earth, so to speak. And his question is, there's a simple one. Men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking in the clouds? What's the implication here? It's as if he's saying, didn't Jesus give you orders? Didn't he just tell you what to do? Aren't you supposed to be following what he said, right? What did he say? Go back down and wait for the Spirit. Aren't you on a mission? Isn't there something you're supposed to be doing? Then don't just stand here. Get busy. The angel didn't say that they were never to look up again. Do you notice that? He says, why are you standing here right now? looking up. He's already told you what to do. He's already told you what's next. He said, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And the reference there is to Christ's second coming, obviously, right? He says he's gone and he's coming back. So the reference is to the second coming. In Luke chapter 21, we're told this, There's coming a day when there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, the stress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear, with foreboding of what is coming in the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. I mean, it paints a picture of terrible things. I, at camp, was asked by one young man, came to find me after one of the sessions, and he says, says, can we meet, can we talk? And I said, I said, sure, buddy. So I pulled him aside, and I wasn't ready for his question. He said, I'm having a hard time understanding the book of Revelation. Can you help me? Like, well, buddy, that's a big question. <laughs> I, said, I said, what's troubling you most? He said, it's going to get bad, isn't it? It's going to get really bad. I said, yeah, it is. So why is that so hard for you? He said, what's going to happen to all the people who even when it gets bad don't believe? They won't repent and turn. He said, doesn't the Bible say they'll go to hell? 
I said, yeah, buddy. That's what it says. I said, why does that matter so much? Like, why is that burning in your heart so much? He said, Pastor Joe, my dad's a Christian. And I believe. But my mom's a Buddhist. And our whole extended family is. And they won't believe. I love the fact that he got something so many professing Christians don't seem to get because we get all hung up on the the whens and the hows it's all going to happen because we're like fascinated by future events because it's so cool to discuss and debate and to argue and, and all this stuff. And what did he say? If what it says is so, that affects my family. And I got to do something with that. Yeah, you do, buddy. What did he say? It's going to get bad, and you're going to see the sign of the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Power, great glory. And what does he say? Luke chapter 21, verse 28. And when these things begin to take place, he says to believers, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Do you realize that there is a command to look up at the clouds again? Not to stand around staring in the clouds hoping He'll come back and rescue us all. No, there's a time. He says, when you see certain things, look up because He's on His way. But you realize between the angels saying to the disciples, stop looking at the clouds, and the command of Luke to saying, okay, now it's time to look back at the clouds. Do you realize what the text of Scripture is saying to us? In between those two, stay on mission. Get busy. Stay on task. There's a job to do between then and then. Do what you've been called to do. Yes, believers are told to live expectantly, to live in anticipation of their Lord's return. Even John, the writer of the book of Revelation, made it plain. He he sees all of this truth about the fact that Jesus is coming. And the text of Revelation, in Revelation 22 and verse 20, says this, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And what's John's response from his heart of hearts? Amen! Come, Lord Jesus! Yes, we anticipate, we long for that day. But you know that the Apostle Paul had to write an entire letter of the New Testament Testament to a bunch of people who had decided that they were just going to sit around and wait for him to come. They didn't need to do anything. Like he had to tell them, hey, if a man won't work, he shouldn't eat either. And why weren't these people working? Because they were just waiting on Jesus. Just waiting on Jesus. And he had to write the Thessalonians and say, hey, stop it. I wrote you one letter to tell you he's coming, but I have to write a second letter because a bunch of you took that as a reason to sell your stuff and sit on a hillside, stop working, stop doing anything, and just wait for Jesus to come. And he says, that's not what Christians do. They'll just sit around and look at the clouds and hope for an ejection seat, right? A rescue plan. No, they get busy on mission until he comes. As we have to ask, how does all of this tie into the teaching we find here in Acts chapter 1? I've often referenced the anticipation that believers should have for Christ's return this way, that Christ is coming. Christ is coming. Be ready. And in the meantime, 
Get busy. We hear busy and we think that's an excuse for all the stuff we're already doing. That's not what I'm talking about. Like Americans wear busy as a badge of honor. I mean, just, just think about it. If you ask a friend how they're doing, you can guarantee that probably within the first two minutes, one of the words that will come out of their mouth is busy. So busy. So busy. Okay, does it mean on mission? Not necessarily. Often it just means busy. I work and I shop and I play and I travel and I have fun and I sleep and I eat and, okay, what about the mission? Well, I'm busy, right? It becomes our excuse for not being on the mission because there's so much else we'd rather be doing. When I say get busy, I'm not calling us to the same old stuff. No, I'm, I'm actually challenging us to think about what we've been called to. In fact, did you know that the scriptures actually tie our Lord's return, his future coming, second coming, to our mission? In fact, in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, we read this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Think about that. Literally, what we're told is this, that that, that his coming and the timing of all that is in the mind of God, sovereignly connected to the people of God doing the work of God in the world. This gospel is to be preached among all peoples as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And some of us sit back and go, well, come Jesus, just just rescue us, because America's getting pretty uncomfortable these days. And what we know is we exist for comfort, right? So so rescue me from discomfort. Is Is that what the second coming is about? And yet for decades in this country, that's how I've heard it preached. When you get uncomfortable, look up, because Jesus is going to come rescue you from your discomfort. Wait a second. Is that Bible? According to the Word... Boldly proclaiming the gospel personally and generously supplying for the spread of the gospel internationally is a right response to the truth that he's coming. I've got to ask, are you living in biblical anticipation as we're called to? So we're called to understand your commission. Secondly, utilize his provision. Thirdly, live in anticipation. Number four, last point, be gripped with desperation. Be gripped with desperation. Come to the end of the text for this morning. It shouldn't surprise us to read the following. Verses 12 to 14. You got your Bible there? Look at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the, to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. That's a lot of them, right? We've got the eleven. And it says, all of these were, uh, with one accord, were devoting themselves to planning. Right? Isn't that what your Bible says? 
Oh, oh, that's not what mine says either. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to playing. Playing, right? Were they planning? Were they playing? No. They were devoting themselves to praying. To praying. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. You know, friends, there's a very practical reason that prayer is one of the two most central and vital activities of the church. We've got six pillars we talk about here at our church. We always put number six is prayer because we bathe everything else we do as a church in prayer. We have to. Because we don't do this. He, he does this in us and through us. Like This is what we understand and believe. There's a reason why prayer is one of the two most central and vital activities of the church. You see, in Acts chapter 6, the apostles appointed men to oversee the more mundane aspects of ministry, but they devoted themselves, the text tells us in Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. You see, friends, in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own ability, not one of us is up to this task. I can't do it. You can't do it. And apart from him, we can't even do it together. Combining all of our strength and resources, wisdom. We don't have enough. So what do we do? We pray. We pray. We pray. We don't talk about prayer. We don't salve our consciences by knowing that our church has a service that actually is called prayer meeting, whether anybody attends or not, right? We, at least a few of us are praying, we hope, right? We don't know because we don't see, but no, we don't talk about prayer. We don't, we don't throw it into a schedule. We don't, we don't gather with people and talk the whole time and then at the end, oh, let's whisper a prayer because I guess that's why we came together. No, no we don't. We don't do that. We pray. We pray. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read this logic from the writer. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, we sit back and we tend to hear these kind of things and we go, go, but he was God, right? I mean, if you knew my husband or my wife or my boss or my kids, or you knew my neighborhood or you knew my needs, if if you understood my debt or, 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 I mean, fill in the blank. We got all these reasons, right? If if you knew, uh, you don't don't know my life. I mean, how often do you hear people say, you can't speak to me because you don't live my life. You don't walk in my shoes. Hear the verse. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Do you understand that when we talk about this stuff, this isn't like we all sat around in a leadership team meeting and the deacons are like, hey, pastor, why don't you, why don't you tell the people they should be doing this? Like, like we didn't come up with this mission. 
We didn't write this plan. We, we didn't think this was a great marketing strategy, so here, here's what we're going to tell them we're going to be about, right? Like that, that's not how this came about. No, the one who commanded us has walked in our shoes. Has felt the weight of every temptation we feel. And has not changed the command. Has not changed his requirement. So what does the writer then say? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What do we do? We, we, we say, well, he'll understand, so I'm just going to keep doing what I do. No. He understands, so what do we do? We pray. <laughs> We pray confidently that when we come to the throne, he'll give us the help we need so that we can be on the task he has given. This confidence we're to have in prayer is all over the scriptures. So friends, I have to close. Let me just ask you some questions. Friend, do you understand and are you engaged in the mission for which you have been commissioned? Do you understand it? Do you believe it? Is, it? is it more than language, more than words? Like, is it life to you? Like, we literally do not live to work. Do you understand that? We work so we can live. But we get that so backwards, right? We don't live to work. We work so we can live. Are we about the mission? Secondly, are you aware of? Are you utilizing the provision? None of us have enough. None of us are enough. But he's given us all we need. Are you living in anticipation of your Lord's return? Doing everything in your power to see the gospel spread to the ends of the earth? Are you, are you looking forward to and realizing time's running out? Like sand through our fingers, we can't get it back. So we redeem the time because the days are evil. I can make the best use of the time. Friend, are you gripped by an ever-increasing sense of desperation for the grace of God that drives you to your knees in prayer? That you, you're like, I cannot do this, but he has called me to it. So God, you need to help me. And I walk in your way. Friends, by his grace, my prayer is that we will engage in this mission, not proudly, not, not in a nasty way, just humbly. Willingly, joyfully, completing the work he's given us to do. And to that end, let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your mercies. Father, we need your help. And so I pray that you would give it. Even now, as we bring this service to a close and head to our meeting to follow, we ask that you would guide and help. For it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.